I kind of like that old school singing this morning. We're going to have some old school preaching this morning. If you have Bibles, you can find your Bibles, open up your smartphones or whatever you need to do uh, to Philippians chapter 2. We'll come to that in just a moment. You know what I miss? I miss those chairs that used to be up here because I like to sit over here and look at this group of folks and see where to aim my sermon. So I miss sitting up here and looking out over the congregation and knowing who's here, maybe knowing who's not here, looking at faces, but more than that, looking at people, looking at lives, and knowing uh, some of the uh, things that are happening in your life that we need to rejoice with you about and some things that might be happening in your life where we need to weep together. So when we come together as God's people, it's a wonderful time. It's a good time for us to sing. There's something about, and this is how I describe it. Over the years, what I have enjoyed the most about Sunday worship is just an average, ordinary Sunday. Think about it. You may not know what I'm talking about, but from a preacher's viewpoint, sometimes we promote certain Sundays and we have a special day on a given Sunday and we're going to do this and do that. But what I have enjoyed the most over these many years is just an average, ordinary Sunday. Just knowing that we're going to come together, those who can and those who want to and those who have the desire to, we're going to gather and assemble, we're going to worship, we're going to sing and pray, we're going to gather around this table that's not here, <laughs> I'm so used to a table being there, we're going to gather around the Lord's table and we're going to commune with him and we're going to fellowship with one another and when the Lord's day is over and the last prayer is offered and we can say, Lord, it was good to have been here. I like average, ordinary Sundays. Now that doesn't mean that you're just an average, ordinary person. You're a special person in the presence of God, and it's a good thing that you're here this morning. This is kind of an unusual statement for me to make today, but the sermon I'm preaching this morning came to me in a dream. Really, after 53 years, God finally answered a prayer and gave me a sermon in a dream. You know, the Bible says the old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions or vice versa. And um, I'm not going to suggest to you that all a preacher has to do is go to sleep on Saturday night and the Lord will give him a sermon in his dream. But I can actually tell you, on October the 27th, 2017, it wasn't even Saturday night. And I don't even think I was preaching on Sunday morning. But on Friday night, I dreamed I was preaching. Now there's an old saying among preachers, and it goes like this. If you, you might be a preacher. If you ever dreamed that you were preaching only to wake up and realize you really were. Now you think about that. And so I was preaching in my dream, and this thought came to me. 
I won't tell you that the whole sermon came to me. I remember reading about Alexander Campbell a couple of hundred years ago. The, the style of the day was if you couldn't preach at least an hour or an hour and a half, if you could preach two hours, you were really a preacher. Preach two hours in our day, the preacher finds out it's last check, okay? So Alexander Campbell had preached on for an hour and a half or more, and a brother came out and shook his hand after the sermon and said to Alexander Campbell, he said, Brother Campbell, that was a powerful, wonderful sermon. I would give half of my life if I could preach a sermon like that. Alexander Campbell said, that's just about how long it took me to work that sermon up, about half of my life. So even though the thought of this message came really in a dream, I would sleep a while and I'd wake up and I, I was into this sermon. And I would go back to sleep thinking, so where do I go with it now? And the next morning, my grandson Cannon and I were going to go deer hunting. And I got up early before daylight and we were about to eat some breakfast and I took out my yellow pad and my big pen and Cannon said what are you doing? I said I'm writing down these thoughts before I forget them. He said what thoughts? I said the thoughts that came to me in my dream last night. He said are you telling me that God gave you a sermon in your dream? And I said well these thoughts came to me. I don't know who gave them to me. But I believe they came from a life of preaching. They came from a life of Bible study. And these were some of the thoughts that began uh, to develop into what I hope will be a good message this morning for us. And the title actually came to me. Seven things that Jesus had that we all need. Now why does a preacher always talk about seven things? Because it's a scriptural number. It's a biblical number. It's a number of perfection. Now, I'm not suggesting this will be a perfect sermon, but these are the seven things that I thought about as I would dream and sleep and wake up and dream and sleep a little bit more. And really these thoughts, I think, must have come because I was teaching on Sunday nights from the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, these were some of the thoughts that seemed to be prevalent uh, as I mulled over the idea of this message. So follow with me in Philippians 2. I'm reading verses 1 through 11. And if you want to talk about singing old-fashioned way, this passage is thought by many Bible scholars to have formed the words of one of the early Christian hymns. And you need to know that this passage is all about Jesus. And the church in its early infancy days undoubtedly sang songs about Jesus. And Paul says in Philippians 2 beginning in verse 1, If therefore there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any consolation of love or encouragement in Christ and consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love and united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It seems to me that the central thought in this passage is verse 5. Have this attitude, this mind, this mindset, have this perspective in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging us that if we're going to be like Jesus and live like Jesus and look like Jesus and act like Jesus, we need to think like Jesus thought. We need to have what Jesus had, the perspective that he had on life, the perspective that he had on his purpose in life and, and the direction of his life and where he came from and where he was going. We need to have that same perspective in our own lives. We need to have what Jesus had and what Jesus still has. So what are some of those things that Jesus had? Jesus had clarity in purpose. He knew exactly who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. And several times he will say things like this in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 4 he said, I must preach the kingdom of God and this is the purpose for which I was sent. John will say this about Jesus, the Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in the shadow of the cross, perhaps even in Gethsemane, at least in John's account, in John chapter 12 and verse 27, Jesus tells us that his heart was troubled and he was distressed, but he said, it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. If you just listen to some of those few thoughts that Jesus expresses about his purpose. He knew that his purpose was to preach the kingdom of God. He knew his purpose was in preaching the kingdom of God, his arch enemy would be the devil, and he said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. He knew that his purpose on earth was eventually to travel the road that would lead to the cross. It was for this purpose that I came. Jesus had clarity of purpose. We need that same thing in our own lives. We need to have some direction. We need to know why God put us here. We need to know what God expects us to accomplish in our lives as well. And perhaps as we 
uh, view some of these other qualities that Jesus possessed, we'll begin to see the kind of person God wants us to be. Not only was there clarity in his purpose, but there was charity in Jesus' veins. I mean, the very makeup of Jesus was this. He was moved with compassion when he looked upon the multitudes and saw that they were distressed and downcast and like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on people. He was sensitive to their needs. Perhaps the shortest biography that could be said of Jesus is found in the words of Peter in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 when he said this about our Lord. He went about doing good. Enough said. Jesus went about doing good. Now, to elaborate, he healed the sick. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see. He fed the hungry. He healed lepers. He gave people a second chance. He gave them a new opportunity to start a new way of life. And all of that was because Jesus was a charitable person. And one of the quotes we have of our Lord that we would not have, it's not in the Gospels, but we would not have had if uh, in Acts 20 Paul had not taught the church in Ephesus this. He said, I want you to remember the words of the, our Lord Jesus. And here it is, Acts 20 and verse 35. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's the charity of Christ, giving, helping, doing what he could, and we're encouraged to be like that as well. Paul will admonish us in Colossians 3 to put on a heart of compassion and to put on love, which he says is the perfect bond of unity. So there was clarity in our Lord's purpose. There was charity running through his veins. And there was something else Jesus had. He had deity in his DNA, which is simply saying, I mean, I, that, that one really came to me. Here's what I'm talking about. It's simply this. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was kin to God. He was his son. We know these things about Jesus, but sometimes we just have to be reminded, as Paul is reminding this church in Philippi, he was equal with God, but he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Jesus didn't write a resume and say, and by the way, I am the son of God, or by the way, I was equal with God, but I gave it up. Why did he give it up? He was rich, and yet for our sake, he became poor. And so just as Jesus had this divine relationship with God, even though we cannot become uh, deified in our own life, but we are to be like Christ. He is our older, elder brother, which means we are fellow heirs with Christ. And we possess within our own spirit this thought from the very beginning that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we each became a living soul created in the very image of God. When you observe Jesus in his ministry, 
And Paul captures this thought too, how he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had something we need. He had humility in his heart. He humbled himself. And he would teach this very principle to those who would follow in his steps. If you want to be great, Jesus said you have to first of all humble yourself. If you want to be exalted, you first of all have to uh, humble yourself. If you want to be uh, the greatest, then you first become the lowest. You become the servant of all. There is a thought that I've had over these years that I, I think pretty well uh, summarizes what I'm trying to say here. And that is, there is, <laughs> there is no superiority among slaves. There is no rank among slaves. Among servants, we are all equal. And Jesus says that's why he came, to serve. Not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had humility in his heart. And when we're talking about this service that Jesus rendered, there's something else that came to me. Jesus had this sense of spirituality about what he was doing, spirituality in his service. He knew that what he was doing was the Father's business, and he was focused on that from early childhood. Jesus knew exactly who he was, and he knew why he was here. On one occasion when some of the disciples were being sent into the town in John chapter 4 to get food for the group, uh, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. John records that statement about Jesus four or five times, to accomplish his work. So there's that clarity of purpose. Jesus knew why he was here. He was here to do God's will. He was here to humble himself before God and to seek to serve God and his fellow man in any way that he possibly could. And certainly our service should be like that of Jesus, recognizing that whatever we do, Paul says, in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord. There's something else Jesus had that we need. He had eternity in his spirit. Jesus knew that he was going to live forever. He knew that he came from God, and he knew that he was going back to God. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And in John 7 and John 8, oh, Jesus deals with some of his critics, and uh, he, he says to them in John 7, verse 28, You both know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. In John 8, listen to his words in verse 14. Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. And you do not know where I come from or where I am going. In John 8, 
later he describes and explains why that's the case, why they didn't know where he came from or where he was going. He says, because I am from above and you are from below. John gives this emphasis about the life and ministry of Jesus and some of his teachings and lets us be aware that there were people who didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because Jesus was talking on a higher level. Jesus was talking about spiritual things. I am from above. Where is man from? And why couldn't these people from below understand the man who was from above? Because Jesus was talking on a spiritual plane and they were listening to him on a secular plane. They were listening to him through the, world, the eyes of the world. And I think sometimes in our own lives, we get mixed up about what Jesus is trying to tell us to do and talking to us about where we ought to go and how we ought to live our lives. And it's because Jesus' thoughts are up here and we're trying to understand them down here. We do not have that eternal perspective that Jesus had. And the reason Jesus had that was because in his spirit he knew where he came from and where he was going. He came from God, he's going back to God. Don't we need that perspective about life as well? Where did we come from? God made us. Where are we going? Hopefully we're going to be with God forever and ever. And part of being a Christian is to have fellowship with him in this life so that we can continue to have fellowship with him throughout eternity. I'll tell you, Jesus, when he came to the end of his life, he had something else we all need. And that's dignity in death. Death is coming for each one of us. Our lives are going to come to an end one of these days. And how are we going to face our own mortality? It has been said that when we're born, we're born with one foot in the grave, which means we're born to die. We're not going to live forever in this earthly, fleshly body, in this tabernacle, this tent. One of these days, it's going to decay and be thrown off. Where will we spend eternity? When Jesus came to the end, and he knew his entire walk on this earth, that he was going that direction. He was going to ultimately die on the cross. And he knew that would be God's will. And in fulfilling God's will, he knew that that's what he had to do. He had to give of himself sacrificially as a servant, as one who could take care of my sin and your sin. And the only way that could happen was for his life's blood to be shed on the cross. And in his closing moments, recall some of the things that Jesus said. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And I don't think Jesus was just talking about death. I don't think he was talking about I'm going to die and it's finished. If Jesus knew that God sent him, and he knew that his will was to do the will of the Father and to accomplish the work that God sent him to do. When Jesus died on the cross, he knew 
that he had accomplished the work that God had sent him to do, and the work was finished. The work of redemption, the work of salvation, the work of forgiveness and pardon, the work of atoning for the sin of mankind and the sin of the world. And Christ knew in submitting to the cross, it was finished. One of the problems I think some of us have in reference to our own personal salvation is we have not accepted the finished work of Christ on the cross. There is not one other thing God could do to save us other than Jesus dying on that cross. And Christ said, it's finished. And some of us want to say, well, but I need to do this and I need to do that. And, and as a Christian, I, I'm not for sure that it's really finished. I'm not for sure I'm going to make, my, make it to heaven. I just, don't, I just don't know if it's going to turn out in the very end. It's going to be kind of a coin toss. It's going to be heads or tails, lost or saved. And Jesus said, it is finished. And when we get that in our minds and hearts and spirit, and we have this eternity perspective in our lives, and we come to the end, we can die with dignity knowing that Jesus accomplished for me something I could never have accomplished for myself. It is finished. And so there's my dream sermon. It's about a dream savior. But I want to tell you Jesus is no dream. He is a real savior. He is a perfect savior. He is a sufficient savior. The question is this morning is, is he your savior? Jesus had all of these things and, and much more, but I think perhaps they find themselves in capsule form here in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Clarity in his purpose and charity in his veins and deity in his DNA, humility in his heart, spirituality in his service, eternity in his spirit, and dignity in his death. Part of announcing the gospel and being a good news preacher is to let people know Jesus was never confused about his mission here on earth. He knew who he was as the Son of God. He knew where he came from. He had been sent by God. He knew what he was to do to seek and save the lost. He knew how it would be accomplished through his death on the cross he knew where he was going. He was going to be seated again at the right hand of the throne of God. And he knew that all of us needed exactly what only he could give. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is heavy and my burden is light. But you shall find rest for your souls. Only Jesus can give each one of us exactly what we need. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning in life. He helps us to know what our eternal 
destiny is. And that's why we ask people to make a decision about Jesus now. That's why we implore for folks to come to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he said, no one can come to God except through me. The song that we're about to sing for our closing invitation this morning tells us in, in a prayer, it's, it's a prayer, God and Jesus, oh, to be like thee. And down in that chorus, when we get to that little phrase that says, stamp thine own image deep on my heart, we're praying that God will help us to have everything that Jesus had and to make it a vital part of our entire being, our life, our present, our future, our eternity. As we stand and sing, will you come?